0: music class,
1: Frio Music Podcast. What is
0: Music Podcast. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Frio Music Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Eric Rudnick, aka Aphasia. Eric is a talented young producer who. Only started releasing music under his current project, Aphasia, last year, 2017. But it's very clear that he has been working on the craft of being a musician, of producing music for more than a decade. His selection of sounds and his careful attention to detail when shaping sounds really shines through. His mixes are clean, and he reveals how he's able to achieve such unique sounds, which involves him creating his own sample packs. So stay tuned to learn more about that. This interview is a little bit longer than some of the others. So sit back, relax, get yourself a drink or some food, some water, and enjoy this episode of the Frio Music Podcast featuring aphasia.
1: My real name's Eric Rudnick, kind of a weird name actually, Uh, that's my legal name. My artist name's Aphasia, Uh, I came up with the name, really interested in brain science actually, so aphasia is a medical term for when you can't actually speak and you can just make noises. So it's an unfortunate thing. A lot of people deal with.
0: Is this a lifelong thing or is this like a temporary? Uh, I think it can be condition. both.
1: I'm not hundred percent. It's funny. I use the word for my artist, but I'm not a hundred percent. You're it, not a brain scientist. I assume. Yeah, no, I know I'm not. I would never claim to be, but it is a, it's a condition where I think it can be both like you know temporary or or permanent where you you just can't formulate language but it's in their mind as far as I understand it's where it's in your mind they could speak but like there's a disconnect in the brain where you can't actually make the right sounds and get it out um, I wasn't the reason I chose that name was that definition of the syndrome kind of actually aligned with ways I have felt from certain music where I really could just make sounds to react to it, but I didn't have a good way to articulate what it was making me feel. So it became kind of like a a direction or a goal for me as in my music is to cause just try to blow people's minds in a way and leave you speechless. So it's so, kind of like a clever way to so say So your that. goal is aphasia for the listener? Temporary. Temporary. Yes. Okay. I want you to be able to speak and have friendships and stuff, which is tough if you can't speak, but no, at least for, yeah, temporarily, I want you to be kind of like stuck just feeling things and, and not being able to, you know, that's just the idea behind the name is the kind of a take on that syndrome.
0: That's it. That's very interesting. And I think music is an interesting language for lack of a better word, because it really crosses cultures and traditional languages, Mm. but it doesn't necessarily translate to English or any language for that matter. It's, it is standalone way of expressing yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of music. Why certain artists can get followings all over the world instantly, no matter their background or anything. Um, yeah, it's an interesting way to express. There's certain ways you can make people feel through music that no amount of articulation or speeches or anything could could cause you to feel. I think that's what's cool about music is I've had sensations and mental reactions to music that I just could never imagine getting from another format, whether a movie or like a you know like a speech or or any kind of articulated way of communicating information. It's a weird way. It's a really weird and cool way to com- like transmit information, music, it's crazy. It's a lot of the unspoken feelings, even psychologists can't find ways to express in words that you can transmit to someone through a song. It's pretty cool. I think that's one of the reasons I'm so addicted to making and listening to it, honestly. It has a very niche way of affecting the mind that I'm like endlessly intrigued by. So I think yeah, that's for me. One of the main drivers for music um, is you t- you tap into, I think, deeper parts of people's mind. Thing with words, like if you listen to someone giving a speech about anything, science, something scientific, something philosophical, your ego is able to listen to that and break it down in ways that make sure you still feel okay at the end. Music, I've noticed, kind of just. Goes right past the ego. Like the ego can't say anything about music because there's nothing analytical to say about it. It's just vibrations that are somehow making you feel different. So I, it kind of can, I for, for me personally, I've noticed music dive in and cause me to become like introspective about things I've done to people in my life or where if they confronted me about it, maybe my ego would say, No, bro, you're good, you're good, you were cool. Whereas a certain song might have made me think about it and feel about it in a way where like, my ego was powerless. I think I've seen music also bolster my ego too, make me feel like I'm cool or I know everything and give me kind of like a confidence boost that I didn't deserve. But I think that's something about music that's cool is it meaningful music, which is subjective to say, but music that's meaningful for me has gone past my ego and made me just think about things I needed to think about or feel things that I should have felt. So yeah, that's, I don't know. I think that's why it's more of a deeper thing than other other things that happened in my life. So
0: let me kind of elaborate on that or tell me if I'm going astray from what you meant by what you said, but in a way music, you don't have your guards not up. Yeah. And with with speech, you can be on your guard or you could get defensive within a couple of words and, or you just start tuning somebody out. Yes. Whereas music it just hits
1: you. Yes. Makes... Very good way to put it. Well cuz and I think it's good to have an ego reaction to people speaking cuz people are full full of it. Yeah. A lot of times people are either trying to dis- deceive or people are have something selfish in mind. With music there's none of that kind of content. So that reaction is invalid to like analyze it a whole lot. Cuz it's like it's just sounds. I mean the sounds don't you know there's nothing for that part of your brain to do with it. So yeah, it's really, it can cut past that. Um, you're right though, yeah. I mean, your guard isn't up in a way, yeah. So tell me about
0: your first musical memory. Ooh.
1: <sighs> you know, it was my mom playing Enya. You know Enya? Oh yeah, I know Yeah. I <laughs> It's actually beautiful. Honestly, beautiful music. I think
0: there's no question.
1: Orinoco flow, straight to the soul. Yes. No, I think the thing about because that that was one of my earliest memories. My mom would help me sleep. Like she, we'd all fall asleep. That was like I think her hack on raising us is if we got to be a little rowdy, she would like put, put on us Enya. on the couch with some Enya, and we'd all be snoring. And I so like I think it actually it's funny you bring that up it's probably one of the main drivers for why I like the music I do. I listen to a lot of ambient music, a lot of music with no drums, just pads and like, just, you know, just spaces really like soundscapes and stuff. Cause Enya was a lot of that. It was a lot of like really smooth like strings and then voice right over that. And it created this incredible sound stick. and oh, I would yeah. fall asleep to that. My growing brain, is hearing it as it's sleeping. I mean, I think that's a big part of why I'm into the music I am. So uh, probably one of my earliest memories, if not the earliest, was that. Um, and what
0: age were you roughly?
1: Oh, I, five, six, like really young, like uh, diving as far back into my archives of my mind as I can. It's yeah. like me on the couch listening to Enya, you know. And we grew up kind of in the country in Oregon. So and I'm lucky. I, I'm honestly really lucky. I had a really good childhood. Like, I'm not afraid to say that. I think it's really sad a lot of people don't have that or can't say that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big reason we're either scared or a lot of people that are not the best to other people. It's a lot of times a reflection of how they were treated as a child. So I'm really lucky to have that. So, like, I had a good childhood. I was listening to Enya, and I was in, wild, like, kind of the wilderness. It all kind of built in who I am in a way. I was part of the foundation of, of why I think I want music that... Um, some of my music is a lot about peace because of that, causing peace, I think, is a big part of some of my music. I wouldn't say all my music is I want people to be peaceful, even though I like I do. Some of my music wants you to have fun. Like yeah. really get out there and, and have fun, which is a little bit different vibe. But so Enya, you know, like some worship music, like I was raised in a Christian family and so there was like worship music going on, but I think the most distinct was that ambient type Enya. I love, like, and I love, chor- like, um, choir-type vocals. Some of my music you might hear. Were you in any
0: of the worship Just as singing? a drummer, as a young kid. A I played
1: djembe. Okay. And, like, drum set with my brother. My brother and I would play, like, rock music together. So that's kind of my foundation. That was more when I turned, like, 9, 10. I was always banging on the table. Okay. And they, like, kind of figured out I might like drums. So I got into that, but... Yeah, peaceful music is kind of the when I get real back in there. It's really calm music, really, you know, and like, and you had all those ocean sounds and stuff. Oh, yeah. That whole like ambient vibe was back in there real far.
0: That's a, that's a great foundation to build off of. So tell me about when you first started playing music. Perhaps it was with your brother when mm-hmm. you were playing drums. Mm. W- you know, when did you first perform or like what was your first performance mm. in your own mind?
1: um it was a talent show with okay. my brother yeah we were like it was a middle school, school okay like a school talent show yeah. we played um i think we played the yeah it was a mission impossible theme song nice and it was cool everyone was like see, we had got all these reactions it was like crazy for my little young ego to get on stage and play a drum really easy drum loop on a set with my brother and then get all this attention for it but it was cool. Me and my brother had a lot. I mean, really more enjoyable than even the show was just with my brother in the back room. Just we'd jam for hours. And but that was the first performance. It was like a, yeah, it was like a talent show. It was fun. What did he play? Electric guitar. Okay. Yeah. And he, he, to this day, he still plays. He has this band, Bad Pacifist in Oregon. They're actually playing this Tuesday. But so he's still in music, which is cool. We both still do it. Nice. But um, I think that would be my first performance I did that. Obviously, wasn't electronic music. First time I played electronic music was out in the woods in Bend. I was about 18 years old. Yeah. Some kids with a generator out in the middle of nowhere, no permit. You know, yeah, it was fun.
0: Public lands party or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Humble beginnings. It was fun though. That's great. Yeah.
0: So tell me about that uh, time in Oregon. That first time setting up, you know, with friends and. Your electronic setup, what what did you have at when that time? When I first did
1: electronic music? Well, I mean, I started with computer music, really, when I was like 11 or 12. I can't get that exactly right in my mind when it was, but it was like 11 or 12. We had a computer. Like, we're out in the country. So we had we had this computer like in the other room that no one really used it was like my dad's old work computer and i ended up you know getting on there and one day googling like free music software basically i found this little program called mad tracker 2 it's just really unintuitive a lot of people look at like ableton and get really like whoa this is a lot this thing was i mean the the mother of unintuitive software
0: and this was a pc that you were on? yeah on a okay. pc
1: you know free program and i would just out of boredom and curiosity play around in here try to get sounds out of this program i was inspired a lot at that age like 10 11 by a lot of that early trance music that old school like early 2000s late 90s trance music like armin van buren all those t- all those guys i really liked for some reason, my mind was really obsessed with the different type of melodic synths people were coming out with, the glidey ones that would slide between notes. You know, I kind of liked the, the big saws and stuff for a while, just seeing them fill up the space. I just had no idea how these sounds were being made, I think, my combined with being kind of a nerd and then the curiosity of that, I started just going into that Mad Tracker program randomly at home when I would be done with chores and stuff. If I wasn't playing video games or something, I'd be in there plucking notes in and making weird songs um so i mean i started with computer music real young as a hobby like i was bored and i wanted to know how these sounds came out and had fun like there were some nights i remember staying up real late on one synth patch just playing with it just like evolving one sound adding reverb getting all crazy with the sound kind of blowing my mind that I was really happy i could get that far even like playing with i because i I just again was super curious i had no idea you know like you know what a drum sounds like you can see the drum in your head you know what a guitar sounds like but certain synth sounds i was like that's crazy where is that coming from yeah like as a young kid i was like that's just wild like half the people don't even ask where it comes from like i want to know yeah so and i didn't want to just like push a button on a keyboard and have it play i wanted to see like all the knobs and what they all do and all this so i got into making sounds with vst or like synth plugins in this mad tracker, plug, the program, it could host plugins. That was the coolest thing. It wasn't, it was not a good software, but it could, you could put all those third-party plugins in it. So I got to play around with like professional stuff in a little free program. So that, I did that for years. I just made music randomly at my parents, you know, at the farm, it was like a farm that I grew up on. And um, it was fun, helped me with, you know, It was like, I had a lot of fun just playing around. Then I played that first show. I was finally, it was, you know, small. You just played a few people out in the woods, your friends pretty much. But I got, you know, it was cool. I got to go out and I had, as I got older, like 17, 18, my friends started to be more about music and less about just other things in my life. I kind of started to notice that this was really what I think I want to do. And so after like sixteen, seventeen, where a lot of my friends in high school were about sports and other things I was into, which was cool too. Um, started might be more about music, and then I started meeting people, and they started throwing these parties out in the woods, and I started getting little slots to play, and nothing crazy, but a lot of fun. Were, were you nervous that first time? I think so, but I was also in a pretty interesting place in my life of like not caring. Kind of, I think a lot of us go through that when we turn eighteen. We think we know a lot. Oh, yeah. And we kind of just go for it. But yeah, there was definitely nervousness. I was, you know, practicing my set a lot and trying to be all ready for it. But I also was poor. So I had the most janky setups you could imagine. Just these little sketchy laptops that could barely boot and all. It just barely happened back when I was that old. But I mean, it was good times. So what equipment were you working with? You had a laptop? Yeah, like it was, I've always been on PC. So it's mm-hmm. just like a PC laptop running like little DJ softwares. I mean, now I use an Alienware 15-inch laptop, Ableton 9.7, so 10. I'm going to be on 10 very soon. But Ableton, Alienware, the Ableton Push now works good for me. I like that a lot. Um, but back then, it was like I was using this DJ software by Avid and my little HP laptop. Did you have any hardware? Or- yeah, I went through different MIDI controllers. had this actual dedicated DJ controller for a while, and all the knobs stopped working i was just beat that thing to hell and then and then i would use um i would just map midi keyboards to be dj controllers for a while i did that for a while tell me about that describe uh, that for somebody who oh might not know. i would take like an m audio midi keyboard that's really meant for playing like notes into a audio software and i would just map the different keys like the far left key would be the play button for the left track the far right key would be the play button for the other deck I would just change it from being a keyboard to being a DJ controller. To, to being a controller. You, wow. Use the eight knobs for the different things you would need for DJing, filters and, and volumes and stuff. So I, I would always kind of make it work. I was really... So you're programming it from a young age. Yeah, but it was... A, in the software I had, it was easy as right-clicking and hitting the hitting, hitting the, the thing. Yeah, okay. and it would map it. So I was lucky to have one that made it easy on me. I would have nice. To, I wasn't doing that deep of stuff to make that happen, but that's how I got out there and was able to play little sets here and there
0: but i think it's so important to as as an artist to start with
1: what you got
0: and figure out how to make it more in yeah. a way like um
1: you have to get out there some people wait to have it all at the perfect equipment and the perfect opportunity i think you do have to kind of just get out there and do your best sometimes without settling yeah there's a balance there where you you want to make sure you can like I look back and I'm like, gosh, I'm lucky that set didn't train wreck or my laptop didn't die in the middle of the set or whatever. I think there's an aspect of respect for the crowd where you show up prepared enough too, um, but there's a balance of like, get out there, you know, don't yeah. don't wait too long.
0: Well, I I just feel like if you were wanted to start making music today, if you've never made music in your life, yeah, you don't need to walk into a million dollar studio to start.
1: Oh, especially I mean, not these days Yo, know,
0: and it would be oh. terrifying it would be the absolute wrong move because there's too much yeah. going on and you really yeah. don't know even you know what the signal flow is or like how to work on an instrument yeah and there's so much to be learned so you just got to start small with whatever you have
1: i agree i think understand what you have in front of you before you add more is important yes like you want to make music on a computer understand computers enough to be good at making computer music. You don't have to become a genius and know how to build your own or whatever, which probably would be good for most computer musicians to know how to do, but know them enough. I mean, your job's gonna depend on it if you want this to be a career or just if you wanna be professional at it or do a good job, you're gonna wanna first understand your computer. Like I know I've seen some guys go out and buy all the top of the line, a Kai controller or APC this and all these different mixers. and. Some people, maybe that's good. Maybe it motivates them to do more music making. But in my opinion, I'd say, learn what's in front of you. Like get really good on the DAW or whatever audio software you're using with just the mouse, whatever you have. So you like, for me, buying gear is just to solve a workflow problem. Like I'm spending too much time drawing notes with my mouse, get a MIDI keyboard, maybe take a few lessons on playing keyboard. Cause like you can have a keyboard, but if you don't know how to play a keyboard, it's almost worse than just drawing in notes. Oh yeah, because then you have to correct all the wrong notes yeah so what it's like a wash almost like if you depending on how you handle that i think but it's really there's no one way to do it um that's kind of how i always did it i had a mouse and keyboard and a computer for like six years that's all i had i think for kids these days or just people getting into it whether they're young or old getting i think the most important thing is a is quality Speakers or headphones, first and foremost. Like, probably headphones before anything else because you can even get good speakers but put them in a bad room and fool yourself. You know, getting really good headphones and getting listening to lots of music on that pair of headphones and then going and making music on them. Tell me about what good headphones are in your mind. Um... Right, good. It's such a subjective word. Well,
0: yeah, and you know, if you had a million dollars, is different than if you had, you know, when you're 15 starting out. But yeah, I, I would. Where, where, what do you like at the moment?
1: I use Audio Technica, the GTX, I think 50. They're good. I think for me, it's important to not get. I I would say make sure the headphones don't have an inherent boost in any range. Some headphones have an inherent bass boost, for instance. Beats. Like yeah, some okay. <laughs> you can say it. Yeah. They, I think they do. I've at least heard that. The yeah. Beats well, I have mean, them. I
0: had some beats in the past, and I sold them for
1: something else. But so. to be fair, there's electronic producers that produce uh, on beats, and I they're very it. successful. I believe it. But the trick, the trick is tuning your ear. So, yeah, what's a what's a song that you kind of want to have the same sonic quality as, or the same relative bass level as, or something? Listen to that on that pair, but get used to what that sounds like, and then you can go make music on it. For me, I went with, I have heard they're flat. I went and listened to music on a Mm lot. In fact, my girlfriend had them for a long time, so I would listen to music on them for a while. And I just, I like the response. For me, I like headphones that kind of hug my ear and keep, you know how if you push them against your ear, you get that good bass sound. I wanted headphones that just did that, just resting there. And that's what those were. I feel like I got that. Because with headphones, you can make the room right there on your head. In the room with monitors, you have to actually get them to marry each other, which... To be fair, I think everyone should have that eventually if they're gonna be doing electronic music. Get a good room, get good monitors. But yeah, start with just headphones, computer, just have fun. Like, it's really about have fun, get into yourself with the music, is how I would, that's what it is for me. Like, use the music to discover more about myself. Like, you can uncover really bad parts of your character by making music, which is really interesting and helpful. I think good parts of your character things you like, things you didn't know you like. It's weird. So you've gone introspective with your music when you're making it. I've, I've tried to, and I've not always been steadfast in that, but that's been something that is important to me is to use it as a tool for self-discovery. Cause you, you can see, it's just a reflection of where your mind's at in any given time to be in a you're just opening a computer and just telling it to make noises, you know? So why did you decide to keep those noises and not those? Why did you keep those notes and not others? In a weird way, it can kind of show you different trends. If you're honest throughout the process, like sometimes you'll do something and I'll, you'll tell yourself, "Well," you, or I'll tell myself, oh, I just did that because I heard such and such artists do that. And that uncovers a part of myself that I need to be aware of, that like we do socially copy each other and, it's not always a bad thing, but being aware of it's good. It help. It can help me stay more genuine. Like, okay, okay, he did that. Maybe I'll do something else, you know. And other times, I'll ask myself, "Why did I do that?" And it'll be a more genuine answer. Like, it made me feel this emotion that I that I care about. That's a different. Now I might go down that trail longer. Maybe that's more meaningful. So in some ways, it it uncovers parts of yourself. Not even just the making of music. Just being in in the industry and seeing how you react to different influences too. It's an interesting interesting pursuit. And I think we all are affected emotionally by certain music, you know, depending on what that emotion is. It it just like we were saying earlier, it cuts past your ego and it just makes you feel something. So if you reflect on that constantly, I think it's for me it's really fun because I've gotten to learned a lot about myself and people in general, psychology almost, just from making music and talking to people about it and stuff. So you you bring up two
0: interesting, interesting points. I mean, you bring up many interesting points, but two that I wanna dive into is the notion that you are doing it for yourself and in a way it is revealing. And it's something that maybe wasn't on the surface evident. Yes. But then at the same time, noticing that it's coming from somebody else or like an inspiration and, or I, you know, I like the way that sounds because it sounds like this other artist that I enjoy, Yeah, which is kind of uh, getting to the other people's perception of the music. So it's your perception of it, but also you're playing it for a response. And so what response from uh, a crowd or uh, audience are you really, aiming for or is it (laughs) or is that secondary to the internal response
1: i want it to be secondary i think a lot of times i want it to be secondary but i also care about it so like i don't want to be so obsessed with just what it is for me that i get up and play music that just either doesn't fit the context of the show or it's an interesting balance cuz I think for, first and foremost yeah I do it for myself. If I didn't enjoy it so much I wouldn't have done it for 10 years for no money. <laughs> or you know like I just <laughs> did it for 10 years just cuz. So I think and that's why I'm able to have fun with it too. If I got rid of all that it'd be less fun. It's fun to use it for me in a self-discovery type way too. So that's that's where I get a lot of the enjoyment out of it is to to use it more as that in that context. And I mean, to be fair, a lot of times I just make a song like I'll just, it's not like I'm always that deep in thought when I'm doing it. I'm not gonna pretend I'm some philosopher in Ableton. I'm just at the base, like it, it has been that for me. So with the whole, you know, how to deal with a crowd response in relation to all that. Yeah, first and foremost, I think the key is it's most meaningful when the reaction comes from something that's also genuine on my part. If I tweak it for the reaction, and I get that reaction, okay, it's like I engineered it versus yeah. just it being a genuine, I did my thing, they did their thing. I want everyone to be honest. So if I, do, if I divorce of my own honesty for a reaction, it kind of defeats the purpose for me. Like it wouldn't mean, it's like if an artist just started copying another artist to be able to sell paintings, but they don't like, their, they don't like to paint anymore because that's not what they would have painted. So it's really key, like, to make sure because I don't think I'd be able to provide much enjoyment to other people if I'm not genuinely up there having fun, like at a show, for instance. Like, I want to be having a lot of fun. Well, it,
0: it showed at that last one that that I Thank saw you, you oh. at, you were,
1: looked like you're having a blast, and and it I did translated the to the audience. I had a lot of fun with that, and I that was music I would have listened to on my own otherwise. I think that's the key. Like, I would have listened to that at home on soundcloud in headphones so i'm glad everyone else liked it too you know and that's where i have the most fun i i've appreciated that from other artists where i see them like really having fun like i've seen artists play sets that they've had to play yeah and i've seen artists play sets that they get to play and it's so much fun to be a participant in the ones they get to play and you see them just like soaking up all that good vibe of getting out what they need to get out musically and then watching people just soak it up. It's like, for me, the most meaningful type experience I have, either as a as a person going to a show or playing it. Like, that's where. And like, you can just see it. You, you can see if someone's doing it like a day job or if they're just legit having fun up there playing music they love. So, just keeping it more simple, really. There's Because it's a huge business now, music. And, you know, everyone's got to get paid and there's got to be like the, you know, there's an aspect of money there for sure. But I think really people have the most fun when they're just, you can't fake fun. I think that's what it comes down to. You can't fake enjoyment. It's really obvious and we can all pick up on it. A lot of people have a lot of intuition with that. And I just, it's a lot of work to be able to get up to that position too. And I want it to be fun at the end. I don't want a second day job, you know, so... But I appreciate it. Yeah, I genuinely had a lot of fun. Good, good. And I'm glad well, people it really did enjoyed show. It. So uh, let's talk about
0: you as a music fan for a, okay. m- for a minute. Yeah. Going back, so kind of separating yourself as a musician from a consumer. Um, were there any shows that stuck out to you as a young individual who mm. helped, you know, maybe drive home the fact that? That looks like it could be really fun to do (laughs) as an occupation.
1: Yeah. Well, I got into electronic music before I could drive, before I could go to, before I was old enough for a lot of the shows. A lot of them are 18 and up. I was watching a lot of like old Tiesto shows on YouTube. Like he, when he was just playing shows, he was because he was one of the first artists to sell out an arena, was Tiesto. He The first time where a DJ played an arena, because it used to be like a DJ might open up for a band and the band would play the arena, but he was like the first guy to just play a DJ set to an arena full of people. And he did like Amsterdam or something, I can't remember, in Europe somewhere. But I didn't know, see, because when I was making electronic music back then, I would mostly get made fun of, I mean, it was like, oh, okay. And and let's just set the context for everybody. First of all, you're 24, correct? Currently, yes.
0: Okay, yeah. Currently 24. Mm-hmm. When whenever you're listening out there, who knows, add right. add some time to it. But born
1: in 1994.
0: But yeah, when you're t- when you're talking about uh, Tiesto I, and lis- you know, discovering music on YouTube, you know, it's it's a modern way of, of, yes. you know, thinking about music in a visual form and right. seeing that he sold out the venue
1: yeah i thought i didn't understand i think that's for me i i always thought that like i knew i loved electronic music and at the time i trance was like the most the genre that was closest to what i was into i loved i just loved all the melody i loved when almost my favorite part was when there was no drums and they would go into these crazy ambient bridges with all these pads and voices and then it would break into some huge melody drop whatever but i liked how melody focused it was and emotional Cheesy for sure sometimes, you know, but a lot of emotional stuff behind it. It was going past just, here's a bunch of sounds I can make into like, you could see the artists a lot of times were trying to communicate something more emotional or something a little deeper. So with Tiesto, I just didn't know, when I started seeing these videos, I didn't realize like, oh, people actually go see this music. Cause I knew there was bands. I knew people were playing shows and I just didn't know there was any kind of opportunity for this music to be at a large scale. I didn't know, I mean, I was yeah, it was still really small. Things like big, big electronic outbursts hadn't happened in the u s. yet. You didn't have dubstep yet. you didn't have all that happened when I was in high school, which was crazy to see. It happened quick. It happened very
0: fast, and then suddenly, yeah. you know, Fortune 500 companies with advertisements and dubstep in the background. yeah, You're like that wow, happened even how? yeah. You're like, you're selling insurance or a car with stuff? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, it happened but, quick because just yeah.
1: a few years before that, I mean, it was very obscure. You know, people thought and it, then sounded it was weird. cool.
0: And then you got to get the
1: millennials on board. And, it was just a weird I transition. It happened fast, it was a wave. So, but to answer your initial question, I didn't go to like a huge electronic music festival or show or anything because I was so young, I couldn't go. But I saw videos of these events and realized they were a thing that, of course, at that time, they were all in Europe. Like all these videos were in like uh, the Netherlands and stuff. These guys were way ahead on that as far as having big shows for electronic music artists that happened over there. It's silly because we kind of had it in the US for a while in the 80s. We had our house music in Chicago and Detroit and stuff. And then it like became more commercialized in Europe and then became commercialized here. So it's kind of like that's how I saw the history of electronic music as I look back. But So it was those videos for whatever reason. And I would just after that go look at all the different trance guys and uh, even other, uh, other genres like minimal techno guys. And I just was like, okay, so there's people do this. This is what they do. They make electronic music. And I, was, I realized... Is an obscure option, but it was an option. I really wanted to give like a real shot. So at that age, I didn't know quite what that meant. I had a lot of self-discovery to go through. But it started with that. My first ever actual electronic music show. I was 18 years old, and I went to Las Vegas, and I went to EDC. I had never been to any show before. I had never been to any kind of small club. So you dove into the deep end. I just went and spent two grand or whatever and went, I know I want to see all this stuff, and it was... Again, I was like 18. I didn't I was in Central Oregon. There wasn't like a whole lot of other options. like I could have gone to maybe to Portland to see some other shows at some like whiskey Smaller bar or any. something, yeah. and it would have been cool. but it ended up that ended up being the first one I went to back in 2012 or whatever i I went I mean, it really that was my first one. Did that change your trajectory? or did it reinforce anything? It was crazy. I mean, it it made me uh, want electronic to make electronic music more. For a time, it made me a little, it was both good and bad. It was motivating, but it caused me to kind of try to copy people for a while, seeing it so grandiose and so big. I did for a while, if I'm honest, it distracted me from more of the genuine aspect of my pursuit, but it was a lot of fun i mean oh my gosh it was crazy after that i got more into the niche type electronic music i'm into now more because no disrespect on those real big events but i mean there's a lot of money behind it oh yeah some of the smaller events have a have music i i think i like a little more nowadays but it's just my taste i like um i like nowadays i like a lot more of the uh Beats, beats that have kind of like a hip-hop type drum to them, but a lot of the same stuff that I liked about trance. I want like cool, clean chords, clean notes, really clean mix, really nice bass. I don't like being slapped in the face with a loud siren type sound or like a really loud you note. Know, I want it to be clean, have some vibe to it. Soft on the ear? Yeah, softer. I don't want things to like hurt my ear i mean you can go to some shows it can hurt if you're oh, careful yeah. um certain sounds so just the, i like clarity and again i think it has to do with that enya like all that is is just smooth the whole song yeah. there's no drop i mean it's just smooth that's why but i think that's part of my what i keep wanting to hear is like that smoothness i want I, when there's like that one harsh noise just over the top kind of bothers me so you want to go out there and kind of
0: figure out how to EQ it or get change the sound. It. Yeah, get notch
1: that sound out. Everything else sounds good. So just that getting a clean sound with something something beneath just rhythm and notes, something, just one other thing to it I want. That's what I respond to subconsciously. Um, I think I got on a tangent from your initial question, but I think that was the main okay. my progress of getting more and more into electronic music was like I, I saw those videos – and I was always making music. That and I went to all fire. those shows and I got to go to multiple genres. That was the cool thing about UDC, it's very multi-genre. Um and I got to see like, okay, this is a huge scene now. I mean, in 2012, I realized this is huge, maybe bigger than all these other genres that I thought were way bigger. I mean, now and now today in 2018, electronic music might be one of the bigger scenes as far as shows going on, and it's way up there now. So yeah, it was those videos, then EDC, and then I started getting into more of those smaller, kind of like underground shows, with like, because um, like you know dubstep happened, and there's a lot of people playing dubstep, like you know Burial. No, I it's don't. like this type of dubstep, old school dubstep that was really. It was like a deep vibe. There's always like a soundscape kind of going on. It was at that 70 BPM dubstep rhythmic feel but it was really almost like an ambient overtone going on cool mixture of like the two vibes you know it almost sounded like it had to be played in like a huge warehouse or something like a dark warehouse kind of had this certain i don't know certain feel to it and i kind of like started gravitating towards those type of events where people were playing more niche bass music but that was kind of my progression Went through, I tried the whole, the biggest one I could think of first. That's yeah. I well, you went,
0: yeah, you went for it. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what, what equipment are you using now? Um, you mentioned Alienware computer.
1: That's for my, yeah. So Home I have a studio. Okay. Or- so uh, when I play shows, it's right now, it's the Ableton push. It's Ableton. It's the, the Alienware. That's it. Um, I, I DJ that way. At home, I have a PC that I made. I'm a total nerd, so I, I built my own PC. Ableton on there, lots of VST plugins and stuff like that. Um, we have some hardware. Uh, my girlfriend and I make music together. We have our page Adam and Eve, ADM X Eve. Um, so and she she plays guitar, bass, piano. So we do have some hardware. We have, like some, we have like a Marshall stack. We have some stuff like that. Sometimes we'll run audio through. And, but a lot of my, I'll be honest, a lot of my production is in the computer. A lot of software, plugins. Um, we do have the Roland Phantom or Amber. It's hers really, but we both use the Roland Phantom. Um, it's like a digital sampler synthesizer. But yeah, most of it is VST plugins, Ableton. Um, I do a lot in MIDI. Or at least started in MIDI. Um, like like I said, growing up, I was a lot of just computer, mouse, keyboard. So I really don't a lot of times feel like I need to get out of outside the box and start wiring up. Since though, I honestly would have a lot of fun doing that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I don't plan to keep myself all software, and I have done some fun things outside the box with hardware. But
0: um, let's let's dive into the software for a second. Yeah, uh, yeah. because that's where you started and. Clearly, you know how to make things work. What, what plugins do you seem to leverage the most?
1: Um, I use Omnisphere, a lot of Omnisphere. It's got that lush, atmospheric base that I really want for my music. But I've, I'll do a lot of, even just Operator is one of the free ones that comes with Ableton. People underestimate that plugin all the time. A lot of times, people underestimate the ones that come with their DAW. So I'll use Operator, and and I think I I have a lot of fun using the microphone. I'll sing some note. Like I suck at singing, but I'll just put some audio into my microphone, auto tune that, make that, and do a synth. So I like to. Not stay in any one plugin too much. I have been. And doing what are a you lot. using to auto tune your voice? Uh, even manual i'll do manual tuning in ableton a lot of times okay yeah interesting yeah, yeah. there's a few ways i'll do so
0: that. uh automation mapping and like you draw maybe depends you could draw in the notes or it something
1: depends. it, it kind of depends case by case sometimes i i might use like an isotope like nectar is one of the vocal processing i've used but it depends sometimes i'll i'll just find like sometimes i'll just try to hum for a while and just find the section where i was the most consistent and just keep that okay tune that it gives it more character. If you use too much of an algorithm to auto-tune it, now it sounds almost just like a synth. So it kind of de- it depends, though, how I want it to come out. I'll use a few techniques for that. But uh, yeah, Omnisphere, Serum, a few different ones. But it really depends. I, uh, th- they all do a lot of the same things as each other. And then some of them have some unique things that only they do. But um, I like to mix it up. And, like, I've got a lot of the main ones. People will use Massive and stuff. But I don't think it's about really the tool as much as just hearing the good. Like, sorting through the madness is the key with all these different tools. Hearing what it did that was good and keeping it. And hearing what it did that was bad and just relentlessly deleting or changing that. Not looking back. Just taking every little good thing that comes out and just really focusing on it. It's a lot of sifting for me. I create lots and lots of sound and sift down to the good stuff. That's how I get a lot of my crazy, weird sounds. And how do you figure out what the right combination
0: of layers to sift down into like the essence of mm. your song?
1: It's really subconscious for me. It's how it... F- I mean, there's some best practices like keeping certain sounds and certain frequency ranges and i do i'm definitely mindful of those kind of engineering techniques
0: mention any if you feel like it
1: well just just you know giving something the lows giving something the mids giving yeah. something the highs and keeping them in there and like that's definitely part of it but it's an overall feeling i get it's a subconscious thing and a lot of times i'll i have to stop and come back to a song to make sure that that was the that that keeps happening that that feeling keeps happening Sometimes it happens just the first time and you get really excited about it and you listen to it the next day and you got to be honest and be like, they just they don't work together. Maybe I thought that worked right. A lot of honesty, a lot of just... Um, but also not caring too much, not too much attachment is important with electronic music. Um, there's so, always more sound that can be made. Just delete it. If, it's not a, if you're not really excited about it, that's something I got from like my girlfriend. She's really when she produces, she's really about like if it's not a hundred percent, I'm super excited, just delete it. Like you don't want people to be like meh about all your layers. If you're willing to go meh and keep it, you're gonna be putting that out. Yeah. A bunch of meh. Yeah. So just going, Okay, I'm not that excited. I gotta delete it. Okay, nice. keep trying harder.
0: Um S- something I read recently is it's
1: either fuck yeah or no. Yeah, that's how really she says it. I mean, it's like it's either fuck yes or a fuck no. I mean, you want to what do you want to give everyone? Or what do you want to hear when you play your own music? A bunch of like, yeah, it's pretty good. Nah, I mean, come on. You're here. You have the opportunity to change it before you save it and export it. Make sure it's like something you're really excited about or something you really get a response out of. So. And what, what do you do like
0: with songs that you come back to the next day and it just doesn't sound as awesome as you thought it did the day before? Do you go back and rework it or do you kind of
1: start fresh slate sometimes I'll do either one sometimes it.
0: and when do you know when to abandon and when to rework mm, or how, how do you draw that also subconscious
1: line? almost where I'm feeling like sometimes it's nice to go back to those and just mute the part that's throwing you off mute it does yeah. the rest sound good and if that's the case and you mute that part that's throwing you off and the rest sounds okay delete the part that's throwing you off stop Sometimes it's good to go try to change it and get it to sound right. I've had that happen where the layer just was throwing me off, but I was able to make it not throw me off and work good and and complement the rest of the layers. That's tough as an artist. That's really tough. Like that's what you have to kind of over time develop is the mentality of, well, that needs to just go. Like there is sometimes an analytical component of like, I have tried to rework that for three days now. Let's just get rid of it, you know? Um, or you mute it and you really hear potential without it. That's another reason to get rid of it. It's just hard to say. That's the thing. It's really hard to articulate a lot of these scenarios. Yeah. You're, you're just knowing when to call it quits on certain things that gets developed over time. And it also comes with like putting out music and then listening to it after and be still being kind of a perfectionist. Like I'll listen to stuff from when I was younger with my other brands that I had be like, I can't believe that sounded okay. And I just put that out. Like it just doesn't sound okay um just being honest with yourself so you can grow and get even better and better again the attachment sometimes like on my older music i'd realize well i kept it because i liked it and i felt proud about it but don't be so attached to it. it's just a noise you made
0: yeah but at the time it might have been the best thing you had ever created and yeah or as a as a kid you know when you're making that first song it's precious you know it's
1: and that's i think that's interest- a
0: masterpiece of a first song you know like. yes
1: yes and that's the introspective so, aspect of music is yeah. going well sometimes you think you're making good things that aren't good that's deep like you had sometimes i had an emotional reaction to a thing i made and later i went it's just it's out of key <laughs> <laughs> like it's that's not even in key or something so tuning your mind to it's It's just crazy it goes both into yourself and into your and then back out into the world. It's cool to watch that evolve and you just can't hold on to much. you gotta just keep moving forward and making honest music and try to have fun i think at the end of the day um but it is an art to choose what to keep and what to get rid of and there's not always a why like because you, your brain's gonna well why'cause you're doing like an you're doing like a you know, if you're going to go hit delete on your keyboard, the analytical part of your brain is going to start asking questions. And it's part of the artist just turning it off and not caring if it leads to things. Like in life, you really want to ask questions. Why are you turning right? On That's important. <laughs> With music, it's not as important to have that analytical component in the creative part of the process. It's yeah. really important to know, uh, maybe I don't care. Maybe there's no good analytical reason. Maybe I don't care. It's like swimming until you find this the warm water I guess you're like okay no this just feels right I can't even break it down and intellectually why this sounds right or feels right it just does and now I'm here and now I'm gonna try to develop this part of the song more um, so it's tough because if especially if like I'm a pretty analytical person but it almost doesn't serve me a whole lot in music sometimes it's really helpful when you're done with the creative part and now you're like mixing and mastering and you want to tune it all real good analytical brain's amazing at that you can start to get into the science of sound and you can start to get it to sound right for various analytical reasons but you can't use analytical reasons to get to an emotional reaction i for me i can't think my way into that i have to find myself there and just develop it I have to spend lots of time in my software and working on music to finally kind of more or less sometimes stumble upon it and then just develop it when i find myself there So when you
0: say like stumble upon it does that mean that you start out the day wanting to make a song and you, you're not sure what there is to be? Or do you start mm. out with a pretty clear idea of the direction?
1: It's never clear, but some, sometimes the, the slate is blank. Sometimes the slate is blank and I just start hitting buttons and pulling up patches, start with some sound. See what happens. till something feels cool. It's really like a lot of subconscious reactions. I'm kind of tuning myself to hear and... To respond to my brain will just say like no that was like that's cool that makes like you, you listen to like when you read a blog post on a song it's interesting they have to come up with really clever adjectives the warm they call things warm they call things inspiring they call things this and that but they, that those words never quite get it so it's more like this there's this feeling you can tune into so you just start throwing sounds at your brain or i do throw a bunch of sounds at my brain Something sticks in a weird subconscious way that's a lot of times hard to articulate. And then I, I try to take it as far as I can without moving it away from that initial feeling it gave me. Just stretching out that feeling, seeing what more I can add or change without that feeling going away. So, And that takes a lot of being in tune with yourself and finding ways to get back to that mental state when you go to work on the track again. Or And, and sometimes you can't get back there. And now you're working on the same track with a different mental state and it'll evolve because of that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of weird cues like that. So I, I'll, sometimes, though, I'll go to, a, like, a, let's say I've gone to a festival. A lot of times after a festival when I come home, like if I was just attending, I'll have a lot of content flying around in my brain that will definitely influence the production of my track.
0: Meaning things and artists that you've heard yeah, at, just, at the show.
1: Yeah, and I usually try to not focus on any one show I just try to take all that content and render it down into like one influence while I'm going out and making a new track. To try to, to again to try to as a defense against copying, which is really easy to do subconsciously. And I try not to hold that against artists too much either cuz it's really hard to like not do especially if something's really impressive to you and you responded to it, why wouldn't you? You know, but it to be genuine, I think it's important to at least notice if you're doing that. And so for if I come up back from a festival or some huge concert there's going to be influence there's definitely influence in there and um, especially if i had a really good time it's going to be a strong influence and there's going to be things about their music that i was really into um that will definitely find its way into the production process in some way i think for me it's just trying to boil it down to Be more subconscious than anything. Like I don't want to go in and go, oh, his kicks are always super like punchy like this, and I want to do that exact kick drum or like I want to. I try not to get too specific. So if I'm if I'm not analyzing specifics in my head, it can kind of sink into the subconscious and just work its way organically into my already the the sound I've already developed for myself, and it becomes more of an interpretation of the event than just me making a song like a guy I just saw. But it's in there. I I just, I try to, because to answer your question of like, do I go in with an idea or not? I just go in and try to make music on a regular basis, no matter what. Do you have a
0: schedule or do you have a target that you aim for?
1: I mean, I end up almost every day. I end up working on music no matter what, just because that's really what I just like to do. I mean, I do other things for fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll, I, I love going out in the mountains a lot and, and, and playing video games just like anyone else. But uh, just like naturally, it's usually daily for me to work on something. I think it's important almost every day for most artists just to try, just get in that space. Try to get used to deciding to just try to be creative i think you can't i don't think you can force creativity like if you sit down and you get in there and you're you're trying and you're putting yourself in front of your tools and you're doing your best to stimulate your mind into that and and nothing's going then it's that is what it is but you make yourself get to there and behind the tools yeah
0: in progress to give yourself a chance it's for things to flow easily and then if they don't (laughs)
1: Cut it off. Yeah, I, it's, I have a weird analogy coming up in my head right now. Let's go with it. S, uh, uh, what is it? It was like uh, those guys who would scan the universe for alien transmissions. SETI? Yeah, SETI. Yep. SETI. Yep. Okay. It's, okay, imagine creative flow state as like a random thing in the air, like a radio signal. Okay. And you have to just put the antenna up and turn it on. Got to look. And scan through the frequencies or you're never going to catch it with electronic music or any music, if you're gonna like take something from this wild part of our consciousness, we can't understand creativity. You know, we don't understand it. Brain scientists don't have the faintest clue why we're creative or why we paint. They don't know. It just doesn't do anything to help us survive as a species. So if you're gonna engage with that, you have to at least give your brain a chance to try to soak some of that up. And for me, it's like getting into my software, my tools, Sometimes there's meditation involved, like I'm big into like mindfulness meditation, trying to breathe and remove all the survival type thoughts going through my head, bills, job, whatever. None of that's gonna help you be creative. Meditating back to just being there, being present, have your antenna on really, you know? And you might never get a signal from another alien race, but, or you might, like for me, if I just turn on that antenna enough, I end up getting something quite often. you get it more than you than you'd expect if you just get into that space.
0: And when do you turn on the antenna? Is it a consistent time of day?
1: No, I mean for me it's usually the evening, honestly, just cuz of like the schedule of my job. Like it's a pretty normal like 9 to 5 work day, you know, through the week, so it's evenings. Also, when I was a kid even, like just in the summer, it was the evenings cuz everyone would be in bed, and like not as many people calling or talking to you. So like late at night, sometimes, I've noticed a lot of electronic musicians get become major night owls, cause two or 3 a.m. You're not dealing with a lot of that like FOMO, like, oh, what is everyone doing right now? It's 3 a.m. They're sleeping, okay? I mean, if it's Friday night, maybe they're drinking, but they're sleeping. So there's no one that you're worried about. There's nothing you're worried about missing out on subconsciously. There's no work to be done. There's just you in the dark with a computer. And that's where like good music comes from for me. So late night sometimes is an interestingly stimulating time because your brain is like got almost no influence except for like, well, we're just, we want to be creative. We're just here and there's nothing going on. Everyone's asleep. So like late at night, but I, for me, like the evenings, just after work is when I have the time to do it. So that's where I, I figure if, you know, any time to turn on that antenna, I might as well do it now while I have time. Um, But on the weekends, I might open a track up in the morning. You know, like coffee, you know, like when I'm drinking coffee in the morning and stuff, my mind's usually a little less creative. I've noticed, just because I'm waking up still. And because of the coffee, or because of the morning, or a little of both. I mean, I, and I just drink coffee in the morning yeah, just to get okay. up, but it makes me more analytical than anything. Coffee's kind of like a working drug. Yeah. So, but that's good too. Like in the mornings and the days, I'll do a lot more of that analytical type work: mixing, mastering, fine tuning um get real analytical about my music cut out things that i can cut out um doing just a lot of engineering best practices and getting it up to sonic quality that i'm proud of and i that's a trend for me not not a strict thing I've had a lot of creative output during the day when the sun when the sun's out and stuff but i've just can shut out a lot of stuff at night and get down to that subconscious space where you, all the magic happens.
0: Do you feel like it's easier to get into that space when you haven't slept for, you know, the whole day or like you're slightly sleep deprived as opposed to waking up fresh after fresh um, on sleep?
1: I don't know if I mean I've I think I've noticed I've I've taken sleep pretty seriously for my health. That's been an improvement. I don't I but being a little tired can help I, th- I think I see what you're getting at, where, like, you're not trying to solve as many problems when you're as tired. You're feeling more. So, so I think there's a little bit of it of that going on. But more or less, it's just, for me, the subconscious knowledge of, like, nothing's happening right now. It's late at night. It's like free space. Like, there's just nothing happening. There's nothing you need to do. There's, you're not missing any commitments right Nobody's going to call you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know that you're just able to sit here in silence and do your thing if you want. And I, there's something just subconsciously freeing about it. You're, my mind lets go about of all sorts of stuff when it's later like that. Um, so, tell me about your sleep and meditation. Okay, well, I, oops. So I brought up sleep just because I don't. Know, I recently have noticed a lot of people think they can do without sleep. The workaholics—they're like, oh, "I'll just sleep less." Sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, you'll but- more like you'll die if you don't sleep. <laughs> like, and we know. A fact. That. Yeah. Yeah. So for me mental clarity is really important and sleep helps me with mental clarity a lot. So that's all I really th- on sleep that's a, as far as my opinion goes. It's like really though people should study sleep. They should look at the studies on how it reflects into mental states, how it reflects into overall physical health. It's important to sleep, I think. And in electronic music there's a lack of sleep going on in the scene. And it, that's not healthy I'm not saying we need to change all the shows to start at 3 p.m. or anything like I like to have a late night and have fun too like anyone else but I just bring that up because a lot of people and artists too that you know care a lot about their work and having a career in music they make sleep something that's not important and I think that's really bad I think there's a reason there's a lot of depression in the scene a lot of musicians get really depressed a lot of there's a lack of mental health there's and there's a lack of health I think, and I think sleep is a big part of that. For me, making sure I sleep correct has been actually a big deal. Uh, more important, though, it, you brought up meditation. I mean, I, single-handedly, one of the more important things I engage with in my life is is meditating, because it's just listening to your breath and focusing on what your mind's trying to throw at you. As you... I mean, for me, all meditating is is focusing on your breath and being in the present moment. It doesn't have to be in any position. You don't have to sit a certain way.
0: Do you have a mantra or anything audible?
1: I don't. Okay. I just listen to my breath. I think, and I did get into it honestly from like when I was young, I had learned some things about Buddhism and I, a lot. they are like, the, they invented it more or less. I mean, I think the Hindus did, but the Buddhists brought it to a really practical place. But Myself, it's very simple. I just focus on my breath. Maybe I'm sitting cross legged. Maybe I'm sitting in a chair. Maybe I'm laying in bed. For me, it's just a matter of not being a victim of my thoughts, but being an observer of them, watching them occur, and trying to dissociate myself from the reactions. Because we, okay, we're reactive creatures. Things happen, we react. That's how we've survived. We've learned how to react to things in certain ways. We also react to our thoughts. We like to think we create our thoughts. More so we get that we get them like a package in the mail and we decide what to feel or think or do. Sometimes we decide what to feel. Sometimes the feeling kind of comes with it. But it's, all meditating is for me is dissociating from that cycle and trying to watch it occur more than flinging it around with the, that cycle of thought reaction, thought reaction choosing my reaction to be watching that can be the reaction. Watch
0: your re- reaction can be non action.
1: Yeah, more or less. I think that's what it comes down to. So um, meditating is good for me mental health wise, I, I use a certain tool for that. That's actually they have a few out in the Colorado area sensory deprivation chambers. Are- yeah, those are a good. They're not cheap to do. No, they're not. Um, but man, the most beneficial Experience I have is is going in there, dedicating 90 minutes to doing maintenance on my thoughts.
0: And for everybody listening who might not be familiar with the sens- sensory deprivation chamber, basically it's water with a bunch of salt.
1: Yeah, Epsom in it, salt. Epsom
0: mm-hmm. salt, so that you are buoyant no yes. matter your body fat level. You're yes. buoyant, and you don't have to do anything. And it's uh, basically. Kind of think of like a sun tanning bed, if you know what those things are. I've never been in one, but um yes. but like like a coffin and they close you in and it's totally dark.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes people get a little afraid of that. Like the ones I've gone to are more like a huge hot tub with no lid. Like you just go in and lay down and then the lights turn off. Oh but there you're is not no like lid. shut into this. Sp- okay. Some are like the pods. Yeah. Th-
0: those Other, are the ones I was thinking
1: have, of. Yeah, those are those are big. I've done that. But they're also bigger than they sound. Like even when the lid's closed, you usually have at least a few feet. People think oh, it would yeah. be claustrophobic. But the tr- all the idea is is so you don't hear, see, or feel anything. You deprive your senses. You're depriving your brain of any input of the external world. And oh boy, that turns into quite the reaction in the brain. I mean, like for me, a lot of times the first 20 minutes in the tank is all the different things that i didn't deal with we are so good at pushing things back into the back of our mind we get stressed we don't think about things we don't finish thoughts all the time we don't finish thinking about things all the time we leave things partially dealt with in our mind and a lot of times i get in there and about 20 minutes of laying in this darkness i'm like doing speed work of going through all that stuff because you got nothing else when you really lay in that tank and you don't feel the edge anymore and you start to not feel your body as much, you realize like I'm just this mind right now and you've got nothing to do but work on it and think about it and let it be what it is. And it's just the amount of maintenance I end up doing in about 20 minutes of, and it's, a lot of, it's not like I can even take credit for doing it. I'm just laying there and my brain is doing all this. It's so good. It, it gets rid of all this stuff you let build up. For me, I have to, I can only speak for myself. This is definitely a common thing people report. You know, just a lot of things, trauma. Well, it's good, really helpful for people with trauma too because that's just thoughts that aren't dealt with and feelings that are pushed back. It all comes up for me. I get it dealt with. And then the last hour, 15, hour 15 is just incredibly, it's like swimming through my own consciousness, like really discovering myself for hours, and, well, usually it's about a 90-minute session. So I like to do that on a semi-regular basis, like monthly, Go in there. It's like clearing, like if you're into computers, it's like clearing your browser cache for your own brain. I mean, things just, you come out and you just, you get more on point with your goals, and things get put in perspective. A lot of things bother us that if you really think about it, it'll stop bothering you. Like, it just is BS. A lot of stuff we worry about. So to be an artist, I think you have to, be genuine with what your mind's giving you. And part of that is taking care of your mind. So for me, I do that with meditation, sensory deprivation, like going in the woods. That's why I love Colorado so much. I've only been out out here for a few months, but I mean, I grew up in Oregon. Just getting out in, if you're not into hiking, that's fine. But for me, it's like, get out in the woods where it's really quiet. And like the sounds I want to hear start kind of starting to build up in my subconscious when I'm out there in silence, looking at things that are beautiful. So this brings me to my next kind of like thought on like creativity because you can go clear the slate in the sensory depth tank you can do it in your bedroom meditating and stuff. Um, But you got to give your mind space to come up with new things. Like a lot of artists just are always, always in their software, always in their studio. And I get it. Like I, we're motivated. A lot of these guys are, and girls really motivated. They want to make more music. They want to make more music. It's just you don't want what inspires you to be a piece of software. That won't like you have to, I think, get things from the real world that you can then output through your software. If you sit there outputting too much, you empty this tank. I mean, there's nothing left inside that's inspiring you. Now you've you've output everything. Sometimes I think as artists, we finish getting out what was in our mind. And if we don't go refill it with new life experiences and things other than making electronic music, we can't keep making good electronic music. So it's a balance there too. Laziness can step in and tell you like, oh bro, you need to do more input today when really you just start being lazy. Like you, you, that's why I think put up the antenna every day, but also go experience life. Life isn't all about being in Ableton. It isn't. That's a fun part of life. Really happy I live in 2018. I can have this and all this stuff. I think for me, meditating, but then doing a lot of non-music things, too, that just kind of put, put more content in your mind. It's like doing maintenance on your subconscious is important.
0: So let me jump in real quick because you, you talk about your subconscious and just go back to the meditation or sensory deprivation chambers. When you're in there, mm. are you steering your mind uh, in that first chunk where you said you were finishing your thoughts, so mm, to speak, mm-hmm. are you steering it or are you kind of being an
1: observer? I would say I'm not really personally steering it as much. It's almost like as soon as I give my mind that much space, it's yelling at me, deal with this, deal with this. Oh my gosh, can we finish thinking about this thing you did last week? Please. It's almost like my mind begs me to just think about these things because it's like I've got nothing else to distract me. So my mind's like, you just get rid of this. Is how it feels. It's weird. It's like a different part of me talking to me like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get rid of it. You're right. That was stupid. I should be, I should just get over it. Whatever the process is that I go through. It more so like yearns, like comes at me like a separate person and goes, dude, just think about this for five minutes. We'll be done with it. Yeah.
0: That's great. So, let's talk about uh, collaborations. Mm. Um, are there any... I know you collaborate with your girlfriend. Yeah. And you guys make music together. Yeah. Uh, A-D-M. Yes. Space X. Space Eve. Eve. Yeah. Eve
1: Yeah. That's our, my main collaboration project. Okay. Uh, are there
0: any other artists that you work with, or...? or...
1: I, I do. Okay. Um, I haven't released any collaborations with my aphasia project yet. I do have some in the works. I don't want to give any secrets yet who I'm working with, but there's some cool stuff going on there. With Adam and Eve, that's been really cool. Really, it's, wow. When you do, so, okay, all the stuff I've talked about with like personal music and like, you know, having to be an introspective path and all those things. When you take two people with a similar mindset for that, because Amber has a very similar, it's even a little deeper for her for various reasons, music. Um, that even leads to way more introspection. When now you try to do that with someone else, and you decide, see, it's one thing to just like collaborate with an artist once, like, yo, your stuff's cool. Hey, send me some stems. Oh, cool, and it works out. That's cool. That's fun too. But when you make a project with another person, that's a whole another level of self discovery. And man, it gets into every little facet of your life when you have two people that you know, if like you know, we we have a whole life together outside of music, but also music is a really, really important part of it. So that's been really, really interesting and has helped me with personal growth actually, more than most things in my life, is committing to a genuine music project with someone else and having our own different subconscious minds both come together, it's very interesting. That's just been wild in a good way. Very challenging too, it's not all easy, you know. really forces you to be, again, really honest with yourself and each other and learn how to communicate really well. It's really hard. There's so many nuances of music that are hard to describe that you have to talk about for this to work. So I think that's been one of the more meaningful collaborations I've had. But I love working with other artists, either whether it's them coming to the studio and working on a track right there or emailing stems to each other. Um, really fun we with Adam and Eve we just uh, did a remix for another artist um, it'll be coming out soon I don't want to do any secrets there yeah, either. It's, right. it's coming out though that's good stay tuned I played it at my set it was, went out sounded great at the Fox um, so collaborating is fun
0: so I've, so tell me about collaborating with Amber what are you guys what do you play what does she play Oh. how does it work physically
1: yeah like logistically how does it yeah play? logistically yeah I mean so she's thing with Amber is she knows so much about music I mean I mean she started when she was five playing piano so her strength is um, as a legit musician like all the music theory you could imagine she knows all of that she's a classically trained pianist Um, multiple instrument musician she can play she's played with a she played with this band called band on the moon toured the whole country multiple times in a rock band playing bass so she's been around with like music, very multi-talented. And she went and got fully educated on electronic music in LA. Um, that's where we met. She was still going to school at Icon. Amazing electronic music school in, in LA. So I, so the thing is, I'm a nerd with technology and she's a nerd with music. So our strengths and weaknesses have kind of cross over on both ends. Like I don't know no music theory and she doesn't know no so, like nerd stuff with the computer like i've done i've i've spent more time diving into sound design and she spent more time diving into like music theory and com- like composing but we've both spent time on both things mm-hmm. so a lot of crossover in every way she's like it's not like i do all the mixing and mastering and she yeah. does all the notes not even close i mean it's a lot of crossover but there are those strengths and weaknesses so yeah I think so, that's the best way to put it. I mean she she but she also has like a lot of knowledge with doing live stuff like we're building a live set for our like when I play for as aphasia, I'm doing a, a DJ set you know I, I'm not going to pretend it's something else, but with our Adam and Eve project, we're doing a live set. It sounds like a DJ set when we play it out, but we're doing a lot more than just playing the songs out. There's elements that she's playing out on a keyboard, like actually playing them out. And I've got control over the track stems. It's a very interesting design. She, it's a majority of her that built that. She was really good at the live part of Ableton. Like growing up, I used Mad Tracker, like I said, and then I used Cubase, and then I used Ableton. But there's two sides to Ableton. I I don't know if you know, but there's the arrangement view you know, where you just go from left to right and build everything and there's live view where you've got different tracks and clips and you can just play them out live and do cool stuff. She really knows that live view. She's really played around with it, experimented with it a lot. So she's been kind of the mastermind of our live set when it comes to the design of it. Obviously, we both, you know, it's not like she doesn't you both out. have input yeah but both she's creative. really got talent with that uh, that's awesome part of it and and then like i said music theory and being able to play live as an actual musician i play drums and stuff like it's not like i'm totally rhythmically dumb or whatever but i wouldn't try to pretend i could go up on stage and play all these elements on a synthesizer i mean i would not be able to she could though it's been cool to because we we can challenge each other to get better in the parts that we're that are our weaknesses and then but also it's a nice complementary workflow. So that's been cool with uh, just working with her a lot. That project's been very interesting pursuit for both of us to like I said there's all sorts of challenges both technically musically and personally um, that we go through that's at the end of the day I think really good for both of us.
0: What is your biggest struggle
1: currently? Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's the balance between receiving feedback from either a crowd or from like internet responses to music. It's balancing that with what I know I like. Right? Because sometimes they don't add up. Or well, they're yeah. They're not like, identical. I think a. <sighs> Because it's really important, like we were saying, to have a sound that you like that's tr- like genuine to you and that reflects a genuine expression of how you feel and so forth. Um, but it's also important to, like if you're playing a show or something, to care about the room, care about what you're doing to the vibe of the room and, and take that into consideration and take how things sound on those big systems even, back home to the studio and care about it. So just balancing the impact of recognition on my music with how I want it to sound already or how I wanted it to sound before it was recognized. What do you mean recognition? Because you get, like, uh, as a human being, if someone says, that was cool, man, like, that was cool. Like, sometimes people respond like that to the songs that I have the least genuine part in. And you have to still go, well, I like, balancing that and staying genuine but also listening to the reaction has been Challenge, just challenging to decide where where the line is drawn, because you don't want to be so boneheaded. Like I know what sounds good. That was cool. And not taking like else's. I don't care what you think. That's not necessarily how I want to be either. Um, but I really want to stay true to sound that I enjoy and and not divorce from that for any reason. Um, I think that's my biggest challenge. is just to keep my ego out of it really like I don't mean to say that from like oh I'm so l- ego because I've major like I have sometimes you know problems with that we all have egos. yeah so keeping it in its place and and taking it out when I need it like when I am mixing down a track or mastering get real critical and analytical but finding just find that real balance where my ego belongs where it doesn't um deciding how much to adapt my sound to a particular show or to a particular context, when the right amount is, is just what I'm trying to find, you know, not divorced from my own personal opinion of my music and also not having my ears shut to what other people have to say and things like that. So how do
0: you adapt a song or a set?
1: Well, sometimes it depends on your time slot. You don't want to start a show. But I mean, sonically oh. or. Oh, you mean like for, if I was going to play a certain set, how would I adjust my song for that or. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I
0: feel like I interrupted you. you were no. right on the same, same page. But That's okay.
1: You're saying like,
0: you don't want to start out maybe with the heaviest banger, you know. Yeah. It's like almost. In a, the some... daytime or something.
1: Yeah. Like it's a context thing. Like, like, like certain artists will play for a sunrise a very different set than for their midnight slot or something and that makes sense i think there's a point to doing that to adjusting for your context um playing at a in before a certain artist might there might be a certain aspect of like okay you know what what kind of set do I wanna play if I'm opening for this person? But really finding that right balance is important for me because I don't wanna be completely just 100% adaptive where I become a different set, a different artist for these different slots. It, you wanna be like a distinct artist for all these slots, but just knowing like, cause it's, it's nice for me though, cause I already make some music that's really chill that you almost can't dance to cause it's really slow and it's deeper and it's more about feeling than anything else. Some songs that are definitely meant for dancing and they're at these more high, like faster tempos or danceable tempos, and they're at these rhythms for that. So I kind of it's nice for me because I kind of already make music from both sides of that, you know, some that are way way more geared for just making you move around and have fun, more, some that are a lot more about deep introspection and stuff. So I can stay playing music that I've made, you know, within those different contexts. But at the end of the day, I want to just still make sure, like, that that's a set I would love to listen to and and not divorced from too far from that. Just genuine, what would I play if I was given the opportunity to play an hour of music that I would want to play? Tuning it, but staying genuine. I think that's my challenge, is finding that and remembering to stay humble and, and to, and it's not like I, you know, like a huge blown up art. I'm really starting out um, in many ways, tons of ways, most ways, really. Even though I've been doing it for a long time, I'm not like, you know, but recognizing it early, I think is going to be important just to, I don't know, just do my thing. Just have fun, make music I like, not care too much about the rest of it. So let's uh,
0: plug for the listeners where in some of the different brands that you have.
1: Oh, well, I've, I mean, right now I just have the Aphasia brand and then I have the Adam and Eve brand with Amber. Yeah, A-P-H-A-S-I-A. My logo is like, a, it's a circle with like a ring around it. So you'll see different pages. There's a few pa- like on SoundCloud. A circle a with a ring? A circle with a ring around it. Yeah, it's supposed to look like Halo going around like a sphere. Okay. But when it's flattened out, it looks like a circle with like a, a ring around it of sorts. Anyways, that's the logo. You, you'll be able to recognize that when you look it up. But yeah, even on the current page, there's white range like there's a song at 80 80 bpm really crazy loud like bass all this stuff i have a song at 55 bpm super slow like my most recent one which i made about sensory deprivation the song float tank i mean it's obviously called float tank um and that it's just a different vibe it's a different context some music is just for you to listen to at home on your headphones so you know just having that range, it's nice because those are all genuine reflections. Like I like to really have fun and fast paced bass music, like is fun. So I I do make that stuff and I like that. And I just I'm just I try to be honest with myself that that's fun is more shallow than these other deeper feelings. But it's also cool. Like it's also important to have fun. So I think just keeping that in perspective with my music is is helpful, and I can produce all sorts of different types of music for different contexts that are still genuine in a way or another, you know, I, I guess my point is this, when I'm honest with myself, the slower, more melodic music is truer. Like to me, like I would listen to that. I can listen to that for a lot longer time frame too, than the super fast paced, crazy high energy stuff, which I still love. I have lots of fun with that, but I think I, I like having that range. And, not feeling like I need to put one of those types on one brand and, and, you know, make that a different name. I think, screw it. Like I like all those different ranges. Just have that be my brand. That's great.
0: I think it's important to have that versatility and not be so niched in that yeah. you can't evolve.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: So let's talk about some of your earlier influences in, in music in general. Mm. Um, we were discussing earlier about the notion of kind of starting small with what you have and whether that be a computer and a mouse Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the internet has certainly evolved fast since during our lifetime Mm. and, you know, starting out with Kazaa and torrenting and LimeWire and Napster and, and, and there was no place to buy music online, which is Kind of crazy to think about yeah i know and and till there was Um right so all these things are evolving you know people can torrent uh or you know uh, download for free lots of tools that are legal some of which are illegal but yeah. um you know going back to some of the artists that you mentioned uh richie houghton that, am I saying oh, right? we
1: were talking about different styles before. Yeah, he's one. He's I, I'm, he's not like one of my main influences. Okay. But he, we were talking about like uh, when we were eating it, about electronic music, all used to be called techno. Yeah. And he makes what I'd consider like a proper definition of, of techno nowadays. Very drum heavy, very like the rhythm is kind of the key to it. It's almost like a modern adaptation of like a drum circle in electronic music where it's like very drum heavy and there's some other sounds in there. But, um, and he, and it, most of his stuff I think is, he he has a cool little, his live setup is kind of cool actually. I like how he mixes DJing with live stuff he kind of throws on there. But um, you're talking about like torrenting and stuff. It's interesting. I think the there's a lot of controversial debates that happen around that. And the only thing I like about it well, not the only thing, but one of the things I think is really cool is it does, like, young kids experiment, find out what they like. So I like that. I like the aspect that we can get these tools and that yeah, the young kids can, can get these tools and, and try, even without doing it illegally. There's, like, just that it's software and not all hardware anymore. You can do free trials of all these softwares legally and, and try them now. Just on your parent's computer, That a kid could download a free trial of Ableton and he can do everything. I just won't let you save or export. Yeah, th- and that's he a could great just point. make music and and see if that's fun. Before to see if it's fun would be two, you're 10 grand in and now you know if it's fun or not. And now it's already not fun cuz you just so, spent all your money and Yeah, it, the- it just increases the amount of people that can get in there and, and it makes the music so diverse. I think that's why music's getting so diverse so quick. I mean, I, I it's always been diverse music, but the fact that technology's gotten in there, it just goes all over the place now. Music is gone crazy
0: with with sampling, and I'm not not sure, you know, if you are
1: sampling. I don't sample like a full track or anything. Like if we were to make a bootleg remix or something, where we just took a track and rem- we would make that clear, like we it would be called that song boot, you know, Adam and Eve bootleg or whatever. Um, I mean, I'll. We like most producers, we use like a sample pack or something. I don't generally keep any like a of drum fill or something. Or, sure, or, yeah, like, like I'll pull drum samples in and stuff, and I have a lot of fun recording stuff though. Like I've created my own sample pack just in my room. You just turn on the microphone and slap the table—that's a clap. Like you can make a lot of drum sounds really easily too. So, at the end of the day, I just don't want to. I want. I, I'm really big on. Pushing pushing the boundary of sound design, you know, to to a point. So I don't want it to be clear, like, oh, he got that from that sample pack that I bought, and you can just tell that I use that snare. I do like to try to always put something on what I bring in. Um, like usually, the, yeah, and it's because of the way I do my process. Like a drum sample usually has to be, it's going to be tuned, it's going to be EQ'd, and it's not going to sound like it does right out of the pack, anyways. But yeah, I'll pull in some sound. I do really like to create as much as I can from the ground up. I've It's more fulfilling, I think. But you, to be honest, yeah, I mean, sometimes you pull there's some kick drums that just sound amazing. You don't need to change them. And, and so, yeah. when you're making a sample pack, mm-hmm. like, tell me
0: about that. So I imagine it's a folder of audio.
1: Yeah, it's just a folder, folder of Folder of WAV files. Yeah,
0: that's And, it.
1: and how long is it? As long as the sound is occurring for, I mean, I'll just take like uh, one of my sounds I like to make, um, you know, you got like your coiled headphone cord, just like on a table. That's a crazy, and then take one, maybe one of those peaks sounds like a cool rim shot or something. I mean, you can, sound pretty infinite. So I like to just mess around like that. So they're all kind of different lengths. Yeah. And like shake a bottle of ibuprofen but just grab stuff and get that noise. That way, you know, no one else has that sample. No one shook that bottle of ibuprofen in front of that microphone. Yeah. So like whatever I'm pulling from there is gonna be unique. Increasing your library of unique sounds is cool. Like, So using a microphone is, I think, fun. For a producer that is apprehensive to use samples, Make just get a microphone, like go make a snare out of like all sorts of things that you can smash together. Um, And then do you manually or, you know, with your mouse,
0: add it to the song or do you map it to MIDI and then play it?
1: Uh, I'm usually just going to use the mouse and get it in there real precise. But um, I like to use my push in drum rack mode. I'll put like a hundred slices in a drum rack and have, what is it, 64? Just sounds to hit. You know, I like to use the drum rack mode on, the push, to play things into. But a mixture of both. Depends on where I'm at in the song and what kind of sound it is, how I want to get it in there. But yeah, I I do like to slice things into groups and and play them. Uh, It's a pretty common way. In Ableton, people will get tons of different chops. Because yeah, like I might take a whole sample pack and just put it in a drum rack. So it's just accessible. It's just easy to just hit the square and hear it. You know, but it depends. I could just get in real precise with the mouse too if that's... I just need, yeah, I guess less quantity or something.
0: So to, let's walk through real quick, you know, building a drum beat. You know, once you get the rhythm, how do you manipulate the sound? Or do you manipulate the sound even before
1: you put down the MIDI? Mm, yeah, a little both. I mean, I, I, a little of both. I got to get it to a point where I don't hate it. I have to like it a little bit Enough or it's not to hear it. Yeah, because I can't. Yeah. Again, I'm trying to have fun making music. And if there's just, I won't leave loops that hurt my either ears or my creative sensibilities. I just, I can't, I, so like I'm doing a lot of cleanup as I go, just so I can, so I can stay engaged. If I leave things a little too sloppy, I get that those vibes kind of go away because it's, it's sloppy. I mean, that's something about, so. Yeah, it has to be good enough, I guess, is my answer. And then it'll be on and then maybe it'll be looping now and I can tune it some more. It's all really depends. But the key is to make sure I still like we were saying, it has to be something I'm excited about or it's probably gonna get deleted real quick. So it has to be exciting enough to get on the canvas for sure. What what are the main tools that you'd
0: use uh, on whatever it is? A, a snare drum, would it be? obviously eq uh,
1: i don't do a ton of processing on my snare That's okay really about, about kicks finding a good same thing i really don't want to over process those things they're really key elements in the song they won't you want a really clean kick and snare on but definitely like typical stuff eqing them and getting it right but not i don't have a whole lot of like oh i always use this exciter on my snare some guys are like that um I think if you find a clean enough sample, you shouldn't have to do too much to make it sound right. If it's that's going to be better at the end. To start with the best sound. Um, what about just like, tuning them is yeah. important? Getting them in key. You don't think to tune your drums? I think that's a big, big deal. Is they're an instrument too? They're not atonal. It sounds like they are sometimes, but if you hear a difference of a song where the kick and sub are tuned to each other and a different song where they're not, it's like night and day, like for me at least to hear that. So tuning. And other than that, I don't go too crazy with those, but you do have to find the right sample or make the right sample.
0: I'm glad you bring up the tuning of the digital instrument or the drum. Yeah. Because I don't think not everybody focuses on that.
1: Right, like you might, yeah, sometimes you're like, this kick just isn't hitting very good, and so you're turning it up in volume. Really, it's just hitting the wrong note sometimes. You'd be surprised how much better the speaker reacts to a tuned kick. So it's the science of, like for kids getting into it that can't figure out, or people older, they can't figure out why things aren't sounding right. You gotta get to the base, like science of sound. Study like mix engineering. Why engineers decide to do what they do not just learning what they do but learning the why about music engineering it's so much more you have to learn but then you're not stuck copying a technique for a scenario now you know why you would use a certain technique and you you can become an audio engineer you just i'm not i'm not going to come here and say i'm like a professional audio engineer but by studying the why of audio engineering you'll It's that's the key because I'll see people watch tutorials, how to make a kick fat or how to, and you'll learn some of the why from a good tutorial, but just study why, like just study why they would eat. Why would you tune a kick? Like that right there is a Google rabbit hole that could take someone a whole night. Why tune a kick? Like that would just encourage new producers to Google the why on all these different techniques and things. And then you'll become you'll understand the technique from the ground up. You won't just be able to say oh this mix engineer does this with his kicks and it sounds good. You'll go, well he mix engineers do this with kicks because the speaker reacts a certain way because I mean there's tons of becauses in there. It's a very it sounds very complicated. But that's the trick. And it's getting to the science of it, not just copying techniques is going to be like a long-term strategy for a producer, I think.
0: There's a great tech well, this is I think a technique, but also down to science of uh, I heard recently, and that is mixing in mono
1: and, oh, okay, and yeah. then
0: stereo separating it hmm. because then you know the sub is in mono, everything's in mono, so hmm. you're getting all the you know uh interference that you might get on a uh subpar. Sound system like in a restaurant or uh, something you know where there's only one speaker above you that's playing mono, and mm, or at a bar or sure. something. So there's there's plenty of venues, well, uh, in the loose sense of the term, that are like playing music, like a coffee shop. Yeah, but uh, those you're not getting a great sound picture, and you can't assume that your listener is always going to have the best mm. equipment. -hmm. So it's just an interesting technique, but it really goes back to the science of it and the construction and constructive and destructive interference. Yes, yes, and mastering that and figuring out
1: what's going on and what's conflicting. Mixing a mono is something a lot of people do. Um, Mixing on different systems, including non-pro audio systems, like when you think your mix is in a good spot and you've mixed it on your monitors, let's say, okay come back to it a few hours later on headphones okay did they pass that test okay play it in your car like okay play it on your cell phone with the headphones unplugged on that little crappy speaker on full blast compare that to other songs that sounded kind of okay on your cell cell phone getting it's it's like they're seeing your mix correctly you never no matter which angle you listen to it you're getting a piece of the picture because you're not gonna be playing your shows out on your studio monitors So it's like you're always going to be looking – it's like there's an analogy for it with like truth itself. It's like you're always looking – it's like a chandelier. On the other side of it is the truth, but you're always looking at it through a different angle, and it's kind of obscured a different way from each angle. So if you look at different angles, you can get a higher resolution idea of the truth or of a good mix. You're never going to get a perfect mix. It's an unobtainable thing. But the more angles you decide to listen to it at – better shot you have at hearing it correctly and not blasting your ears out like there's it gets into like the science of the human ear too like have you been listening to this song for three hours at the same volume you can't do that i mean okay you can but
0: there's drawbacks
1: there are yeah there are anatomic drawbacks to doing that and you need to understand the science of your eardrum For me, that's been a struggle because I love when my headphone like physically hits my ear with bass. I don't know if you know, like there's that level of bass in a headphone where it's like, I'm too obsessed with it. And it's really bad for my ear health. Like you really have to give your ear a break and you have to. I've heard some people say every 20 minutes, you need to change the volume level, at least two or three dB. I don't know if that's, I I don't know all the evidence behind that technique and all this, but just at least taking into consideration ear health. Oh, yeah. Like, I started wearing earplugs at shows. Oh, yeah, same here. I mean, like, yeah, I like to hear it loud, too, but, I mean, I want to hear it loud the rest of my life. (laughs) Exactly. Like,
0: I like the music, but I also want to like the music at age
1: whatever, you know, whatever I I make it to. Yeah, and if I was, like, a craftsman with my hands, I wouldn't want to smash my hands up every night with a hammer if my ear is my main tool. I don't want to blow it out every night. I will be a bad musician. I won't be able to hear my music anymore, so... Guarding your ear health, I've I've already made a lot of mistakes there, and I'm like paying the consequences. And at least at least I'm young enough to see now that I should slow that down. And you yeah, you're There's young been, enough to make that difference and that hope. That yeah yeah, I haven't done too much damage I think yet, and I still have bad habits. Like I still really need to turn it down. Just turn it down. Get you still listening to your music quieter. I think it's important for young musicians. Because we love, especially with bass music, I mean, we love to hear that bass and all this stuff. For some kids, like even me, I might need to get like the sub pack. You know, a lot of producers are using things like haptic feedback type. Like You put the sub pack, it hits you with the sub frequency in your back. So you don't feel like you have to turn the headphones up to the point where you feel the bass. You know, so I haven't used that technique. I've heard some producers say it was really helpful to produce with. You, You should be careful. I mean, I could see people getting their bass mix completely wrong you start with a sub pack and your bass sounds super big and then you play it on a speaker I wonder if there's a latency or does it only send the low frequencies? Uh, I, my understanding is it's like a yeah, just the low frequencies and it's it ranges for just for that and it's no latency but I haven't I actually haven't tried them out yet. Yeah. Heard heard good things, but just I've heard good things too. Guarding ear health, um, a lot of people don't take it seriously enough, including myself for a long time it's important yeah. and, and it's an important technique for you for you to hear make sure you're hearing it right like that's the thing your body gets used to things that happen to it your ears get used to certain sounds happening if i've listened to some, something for too long i start I, sometimes i stop hearing bad frequencies in a certain instrument and if i come back to them I'm like that what is that ringing or whatever yeah, how did i not notice that yes yeah, i probably was listening for too long at the same volume like take into account that you're Like, when you come back to it fresh, it's more accurate, I think. And it's part of the technique. Like, taking breaks, but staying, like, keeping at it, like keeping at the the track or whatever you're working on, but definitely giving yourself breaks is not just important for your mental health, but for the accuracy of your ear. And when,
0: when you take a break, do you listen to other tracks? Or do you just turn it to zero? I like to get quiet. Yeah, and, and take a moment, get some water and then come back to it.
1: Yeah, like walking, like getting out getting out of where I'm where I am. Changing scenery is nice. Sometimes it's freezing cold outside or something and you just just minimize the program or something and stretch or something. Um Yeah, like we're just not robots. We're not designed to sit in front of computers for too long. Our bodies were not meant for that and our bodies don't respond well to that. Just keeping all that in mind. And this, like, if I'm in the creative part of a track and it starts to feel like work to keep going, just take a break. Like, take a break. If you come back to it, a lot of times it'll be more fun again. It'll, that negativity kind of can go away. And you'll have a little fresher consciousness to come back to it too. You know, when things get repetitive, my mind doesn't get too happy making electronic music can get really repetitive. So just get put more input in there. Um, but and sometimes maybe I'll listen to some music, but generally it's good to just, I like to just go quiet for a while and do something else for get a Get outside. Bit. You you even mean, just do like it. a stupid chore or something just to split it up. So wrapping up here. Yeah. But you,
0: you've you talked about how you're always curious as a, as a kid and even now. Seriously, how do they make that? I wonder, how do they slide between the notes uh, when you're talking about trance as oh, a Oh, when I was a
1: kid wondering all these different sounds? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I got into computer music, I think, was no one could explain to me what those sounds were. And so you had to f- do it yourself? I wanted to just know. Yeah, I wanted to see, like, exactly how it was made. Um, and once you got the software...
0: where where do you start let's say you listen to a song you're like wow that was cool i would love to be able to make something like that just for learning's sake as a kid how do
1: you start well i started with that free program mad tracker i i so i yeah so i had been listening to trance music like it would randomly play i didn't even have much in my library because i didn't know much of it but I would hear like Tyco was a really early influence. One of my cousins put some Tycho songs on my flip phone. You know, and I was listening to these, and they use a lot of square wave synths with tons of reverb, and they they even kind of detune them a little bit. It's and so, how do you know that? Now I know it, right? Because I well, because so you've got that ear. I dove in, and now I can go. Oh, that's a square wave, and you you just you know, and they're really like they have nice finesse with their effects. I think that's where. I realized later on, like, oh, he just put enough detuning. He put enough reverb. Because when I was a kid, I would think, oh, it's reverb. I was just 100% on the reverb. Yeah, all or none. Okay. That's not, that's not it. Um, but yeah. So, like, I had heard these synths and these, and I had no, no idea how those sounds came about. I had heard some keyboard, you know, you play on like a keyboard with different sound presets. And I, okay. But that didn't tell me where it came from really and so and you can't quite get there with the presets typically. so you just hit a button and that's the sound on a lot of those keyboards and so yeah. i uh like those just the ones for playing and then i so i downloaded this program mad tracker and it's it's basically just a host for plugins it doesn't really have any samples there's nowhere to put audio it has to be midi and it has to be a plugin so I, there was this synth on there called it was like a super wave synth it was like a, a saw wave mostly synth but you could change it to different waves and it had like all it was a main it was like a pretty you know now I, I realize that it's just a typical synthesizer but as a kid it was like all these parameters each one sometimes i would turn a knob and it would go quiet and i couldn't get any sound out of it and i'm like okay whoa what what am i doing what happens each knob one at a time over years i finally just learned i was silly because i could probably could have googled and learned a lot of them quicker but I just played with them for just, a while out of boredom when I was a kid, realized kind of what these knobs did. and Through experimentation. Yeah, like playing around. And then, and then I would watch to some tutorials and eventually there came a time, like when I was a young adult, like 17, 18, where I started to get the concept of a synth and get the idea of these tools and more of a bottom up understanding of how they worked. But yeah, it really just started from curiosity. I, like, I liked how the sounds made me feel in ways I didn't know how to articulate, but I loved how they made me feel. There was a vibe to it. And there was a mystery. And I've always been a really curious person. So I just got got on my one computer I had access to and put this software on it. Started changing knobs on this little VST. Pretty soon started to kind of get it over a few years. And then, then it started to be fun. I kind of started to, you know, have friends that were making music and opportunities to play little DJ sets or whatever. And it kind of, came pretty clear like this is fun like i see you know whether i'm good at it or not i seem to i seem to have fun doing it so it that's kind of how it played out but yeah it was an interesting curiosity from some of these artists that were kind of pushing boundaries for their time i feel like the music i was listening to from Tycho is huge boundary push for it was like a rock band with all these ambient sounds and crazy so yeah, it just got me really, really curious and I was I was bored. That's I, I mean, I had a lot of time on my hands back then, so and and it added with
0: up. With all these tools, I mean, there really is no bottom or there's no ceiling. Um it's yeah. it's pretty infinite. I mean, as far as yeah. with the confines of the human hearing range. Um, true. True. <laughs> but it's and quite infinite of yeah. what kind of sounds you can make. But you are very disciplined and thoughtful with what sounds you decide to release and the combination Thanks. of sounds as well, like in a song are cohesive. And I'm just mm. curious with Thanks. all this infinite possibility, you know, where are there any tools or techniques that you use to chop away the, the fat? So to speak. Yeah.
1: Oh gosh. That's the, I mean, that's been my most, well, how should I say this? That's been a, one of the real big, challenges because there's not like a real simple answer to that (sighs) the main technique is the one we mentioned where how excited was i really when i heard that you know real get really get honest because sometimes you're like it's pretty cool but do i want a pretty cool song no delete it or change it but keep staying honest because the ego will say no you made that and that's pretty cool you're cool bro like that's cool keep it yeah It's pretty cool. I make pretty cool stuff sometimes, but I want to make really cool stuff all the time. Kind of setting the bar high and sticking to it and knowing that like, yeah, maybe the track won't come out for a lot longer because of that. Um, But what you'll put out at the end, I think you'd be more proud of.
0: And how do you keep that confidence once, because eventually there will be something that just doesn't meet your high bar. Mm. And so you've got to let it go. But how Mm. do you tell yourself, oh, that was that song this song's different or mm. this song's going to be different.
1: I mean, it's tough because it's a lot of subconscious feelings that you're using to guide you. There's not an analytical way to calculate if it's good or not. Um, Cause it's just music. There's nothing really logical about music. Like you can't hardly come up with a logical reason to make music other than like, I just love it. People love it. We all do this. It's, a, it's an interesting ex- reaction to the dilemma of life, actually. That's one logical thing of it. It's like, eh, screw it, let's dance. Like, yeah, yeah, all this is crazy and we don't understand it, but why don't we just have some fun and dance to music and feel some cool stuff? That, so to an extent, there's logic behind it. But um, yeah, I mean, because the sounds I choose not to keep in, I've, you know, there's plenty of different types of synths where I'm like, nah, I just don't want it. And I've seen other artists keep them and, similar type sounds that i've discarded and work amazing i mean especially in their song or set it's all context and and stuff but i don't know i i like um i've always liked really lush pads i've always liked really smooth lead synths that aren't very loud really they're there you don't want them to sink in the background but There's something, there's just a certain sound that I've really aligned with. Again, like we were saying earlier, I think it has a lot to do with like the Enya and these different types of music that were just playing as my mind was growing when I was super young. And I just have to stick with that. That's my, that's kind of my like compass or my way of seeing what's good. That's all I'm going to get. And I just, I just need to stick with that and keep rediscovering that. And it can evolve and new types of sounds can become acceptable. Um, That's totally fine. I don't want to keep myself on sounding like I'm making the same song over and over again. That can happen, too. Um, so being honest about how excited I am and remembering to just get rid of social ego-type influences and then the it just gets clearer. Like, no, nah, I, I just don't like that sound. It's okay. Other people do. I don't. Delete. Move on. That gets refined. It's been getting refined for me over the years because I've gone down crazy paths with my music and I've found myself back here sounding with a sound that's got a lot of hints from my childhood and things I liked when I was young. So it's not, there's no quick answer. That's like my shortest possible answer. It's probably oh, that's like good. 50 sentences.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's all good. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and, and you, talk Mike. and share your thoughts and wisdom. So I really yeah. appreciate your time and, and wish you all the best. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you.